BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, welcome back to We Met at Acme. I am coming off of a plane, basically. I was in Portugal for 48 hours for our friend's wedding, but it was phenomenal, so gorgeous. The couple is just so warm, and I can't explain to you how much it means to me as a guest attending a wedding when the couple tells you how much they appreciate you and how much they love you. It just makes you feel so good about making the trip. And it's something that I did at my wedding, like probably too much. And honestly, annoyingly, I went up to every single person at a certain point in the night and was like, I'm so appreciative of you being here. Like, I love you so much. Like, I hope you know how much I love you. And it was like, it was oozing out of me because I was just seeing everybody looking around and being so grateful that they were there. And so if, you're going to a wedding, if you're having a wedding in the future, just a note to to do that if you feel that because it makes the guests so happy. And I was so grateful that the couple was so appreciative of us being there this weekend. It was really so lovely and we had such a great time. If you are having a bad day because Mercury is retrograde, similar to me and a lot of the days that I've had in the past few weeks, I hope this will turn your day around or at least give you a smile because I am about to, oh boy, do I have a story for you. And that story is something happened to me this week that hasn't happened to me in maybe 10 years, if not longer. Something that many people think they're above, myself included, but turns out we're not. We're not above it. I was on my way to the grocery store on Monday, going to pick up some groceries, and I thought that I had to fart. And I was like, okay, I'll just, you know, go for it. And unbeknownst to me, it was not a fart. I sharted. I literally sharted, guys. Like it was so horrific. I was freaking out. I was literally like right next to the grocery store also. And I, it was a trek to the grocery store. So it wasn't like I was closer to my parents where I'm living right now. I was in fact closer to the grocery store and I needed to get groceries. So I did what any insane person does. And I kept grocery shopping because I was like, what am I going to do? It wasn't like this crazy chart that was like going down my legs it was just like a little bit. And I was like, what am I supposed to do? You know, like I have to keep. So I'm in the grocery store and like, luckily it doesn't smell. It's not gross. Like, I mean, it's gross, obviously, for all the other reasons, but I just kept grocery shopping and I did like a more condensed version, obviously. Like I grabbed like three fruits and this and that. And I was like, I gotta go. And 
it was crazy. And I'm texting Steven and I'm like, I just fucking sharted. Like, you need to help me. Like, come get me. Like, I don't know what to do. It was nasty. And I'm honestly only sharing this very vulnerable shart with you because I want you to smile today and to tell me a time when you sharted. Thank you. I am so excited for today's episode. It is with Dr. Annabelle Seif, and she brought so much wisdom into my life. She gave me one of the phrases that I shared with you guys on a previous episode. It is blood deals with blood, and you will get the context of it in this episode today. It is a really good one if you're in a relationship, if you want to get ready to be in a relationship, if you're single and you're just thinking about the future and what you want your relationship to look like. It covers all of that. And before we get into that, I'm going to answer a few of your questions and then we'll get right into it. I was recently on my friend Tinks's podcast and we did a sex segment. So you should definitely check that out. Someone reached out and they were like, can you give more practical advice about sex? And again, like sex is so different for everybody. What feels good for some people doesn't feel good for other people. Some women need like littoral stimulation. Some women don't and so on and so forth. For me, I like to be on top during sex. Um, <laughs> if, if you're in-laws, please skip ahead or parents. And it's really about kind of like rocking back and forth as opposed to going up and down. And that's what does it for me. I think that's because maybe it stimulates like my clit a little bit when you rock back and forth type of motion. I learned that through masturbation, like through playing with my body and seeing what worked for me and what made me feel good. And that's really the practical advice that I can give you. I think always try out new positions. Like just because I like to be on top and that's when I can come doesn't mean I'm against trying other positions. I think it's so important to be open to it, especially if you're with a partner that you trust. And that's really the practical advice that I have. If you have more questions on it, maybe we'll do a more dedicated episode with a sex therapist. So feel free to ask some questions on the DM. Somebody said, I'm having an identity crisis once because I'm in a relationship after always being the single friend. That is so real. And it's so important to maintain your sense of self in a relationship. I did not do this in my 20s. I feel like every relationship I kind of lost myself in. And that was for a multitude of reasons. I think one being I didn't really know who I was. But I think if this is obviously very niche, but like if you are someone that identified as the single friend always and you're in a relationship, obviously that is going to feel different, but you, we can't like put ourselves in boxes. Like, yeah, you were the single friend for a while, but now you're in a relationship and you know, there's a friend that's always in a relationship and maybe they get single and they don't know how to act. And I think it's just about adjusting. Like if you're holding on to whatever identity you are now, it's going to be so much harder to continue growing in life. So I think if you're used to being the single friend and you like had that really fun times, you can still have fun times. You just have to obviously be loyal to your partner if you want to be in a relationship. So I think make plans with your girlfriends. You don't have to only do couples things now. It's so important to keep the that part of you alive and that part that exists without your significant other because 
you have to be in a place where if God forbid was something were to happen to your significant other, you would still have a life and you could go on. Somebody asked about the verbiage to nudge for engagement slash timeline. I always thought that it was great to ask them instead of a we. Like, when do you see yourself getting married one day? Or what does that look like for you? How did you always look at that for yourself? Because that to me is just not stressful. And it allows them to answer genuinely. How to say no to a friend's wedding because calendar is too full slash costs are too high. The worst thing that you can do, and a friend did this to me, and I love her very dearly. And I told her that I didn't like that it was a little awkward the way that she said it is to call and be like, Hey, I can't afford your wedding. It's too expensive. Because that makes your friend feel like they burdened you by inviting you. And, you know, at the end of the day, like nobody wants to be made to feel bad about their wedding. Their wedding is something that a lot of planning went into and they considered a lot of things and considered every single person they invited. So don't make anyone feel bad about their wedding. I think if you can't go to a wedding because your calendar is too full or costs are too high, just be like, Hey, I can't make it, but I would love to take you out to dinner and celebrate with you in another way. Perfect. Nothing is wrong with that. I never would have ever been offended if someone said that. Being more confident in your thirties, a routine and finding a good balance to eat better. This is hard. For me, a lot of it came from like letting go of such strict things like that I put on myself. I feel like when I was 29, I felt like I had to work out every day. I felt like I had to do like when you're focused on things that limit you, I feel like that's when your body almost rebels versus when you're just enjoying your life and not prioritizing like, oh, I need to, you know, do this workout every day or I need to eat so healthy every day. It's like truly just trying to get in touch with what your body wants. And also being confident in your 30s comes from like loving what your life is like. And if your life isn't something that you love, changing things. And being proactive about it, being in therapy, I think today's episode will really help you because it's basically a therapy session and who you surround yourself with. Like, look at your life and imagine like walking home and saying like, like walking into the door and being like, fuck, this is my life. Do you want that to be like a fuck? This is my life. I'm so happy. Or like, fuck, this is my life. This sucks. You know? How long is too long to have a friend with benefits? I don't believe that there's any such thing as too long to have a friend with benefits as long as it's respectful and you're communicative when you're dating someone seriously and you don't just like say nothing and just don't have respect for them. Like I fucked up once when I started to see an ex of mine, but I had a friend with benefits. I kind of was like rude to my friends with benefits about it. I was like, you need to stop calling me, blah, blah, blah. And a friend, a girlfriend of mine was like, wait, what? Like, how dare you treat him that way? Like, he's so he's such an amazing thing in your life. Like, call him back and like explain to him in a normal way and be respectful to him. And I was like, wait, you're right. I don't know what's wrong with me. And I called him and I was like, I'm seeing someone else more seriously, but I'm so appreciative of like you. And I want to continue our relationship when like I'm not in in a relationship with someone else, blah, blah, blah. And then when I ended up breaking up with that guy, we were able to 
like hook up again. And there was no animosity. Balancing time with significant other and friends when you don't live together. This goes back to making a set plan with girlfriends. Like be proactive. It doesn't matter if you're the only one reaching out like or the the first one reaching out to make a plan with your girlfriends every time. If you're a planner, that's what you got to do. And even if you're not, like you kind of have to force yourself to make these plans with your friends because otherwise it's really hard to see each other and it's really hard to balance that time. So have like at least one friend plan a week and then have your plans with your significant other, but don't only see the significant other, especially when you don't live together because once you do live together, you're going to see each other all the time. So what's the rush? Dating someone who isn't your type, pros and cons. I would say the pros here are you're learning something that might work because clearly what you have done in the past hasn't. And cons is that like you're used to something else and it takes getting used to to know this person, whether it's like this person's personality type is new to you or the way that they look, whatever it is. I think, you know, other pros are like you are learning more about what you like. And that's really cool. You're seeing that you have range and you're not fitting in a box of, oh, I only like people like this. And I would say another con is you might feel like anxiety about it. Like, should I be with someone who's more my type? What even is my type? You know? Um, And that's where therapy comes in. Thank you guys uh, for listening. As always, we have a show coming up in Austin, November 10th. And we might have a show coming up in Chicago. I'm not going to announce it yet because I don't want to jinx it. But stay tuned. You can find out all about the shows on WeMetAtAcme.com. We also have a mixer September 27th in New York City. So please come and hope to meet you guys in person. We talked all about masturbation. And I talked a little bit about it on my episode on Tinks' podcast too. And something that I really love doing when I masturbate is listening to my fantasies. Oh yeah, like real fantasies, like running into someone in the elevator, but they're married, but they just can't resist me. You know, you know, whatever your fantasy is, I'm not going to go into mine because I'm not going to get weird, but we all have them. Maybe you're fantasizing about your boss. Maybe you're fantasizing about your coworker. Whatever it is, Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. So women know what women want to hear. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and characters, no matter who you're into or what turns you on. Find stories about that intriguing coworker with a an Australian accent or hooking up with your hot yoga instructor, maybe your berries instructor, whatever it is for listeners of the show. Dipsy offers a, an extended 30 day free trial. When you go to dipsystories.com slash Acme, that's 30 days of full access for free. When you go to D I P S E A stories.com slash Acme, that's dipsystories.com slash Acme. They also have sleep stories, wellness sessions, and they also offer written stories. If you're more into that 50 shades of gray vibe of reading something sexy, don't forget about your me time. Your me time is crucial. Crucial. Explore your fantasies, or you can heat things up with a partner by listening to one of these stories. Go to dipsystories.com slash Acme to get your 30-day free trial. 
I have been living at my parents' house for the past two weeks, week and a half. And I basically put all of my stuff in storage, but I made it a point to bring my Babe Lash Essential Serum because I was like, if I'm going to be 30, almost 32 and living with my parents, I'm going to have amazing lashes and I'm not messing up. I've been doing this for almost six weeks now. And that's, you're supposed to get longer looking lashes in as little as six weeks. And I wasn't going to just stop. I had to continue because I've been getting compliments on my lashes ever since I've been using Babe Lash. And for you, Babe is so confident that you're going to love your results that they have a 90 day satisfaction guaranteed. It's really, really amazing. If you have not tried Babe Lash, you can just go to babeoriginal.com and you can use code ACME at checkout to save 15% off of your order. It's really amazing. I mean, it's all about the lashes, right? The lashes, they also have a brow serum. And I just feel like if your lashes look good, then everything else looks amazing. Like if you can wake up and feel like your lashes are long and gorgeous, then you just feel so much more stunning and so much more beautiful. And that's a wonderful way to start the day is loving yourself. So use code ACME at checkout, babeoriginal.com and code ACME at checkout to save 15% off of your order. And action. Hey everyone, I'm Sarah Gretzky. And I'm Natalie Buck. And together we are the Nut Chicks. We're here to talk anything and everything on screen, including what your favorite celebs are up to. And if you want to know what shows we are absolutely loving and hating, well, thank God, because we will be unpacking for you every single Thursday. So grab your Netflix and some popcorn because the chicks are coming. And scene. Hey, guys. Welcome back to We Met at Acme. I'm so excited to be here with Dr. Annabelle Saif. So good to see you. Thanks for having me, Lindsay. Thanks for coming on. So tell us a little bit about your background and what you do. So I'm a licensed clinical psychologist here in New York City. I work with adults and couples in a group private practice. And I also run a workshop called Before the Leap for couples who are on the precipice of a new chapter of their relationship. So it's a fun and interactive workshop for couples taking the next steps in their relationship for them to learn the skills and have the conversations necessary for happy, lasting partnerships. Mm -hmm. And I know that you're married and we're not going to talk too much about your personal life as you are a therapist. But I know one question that everyone always asks me, how did you know that your partner was the one? It's a great question. And I don't think there was a moment. I think mm -hmm. often people want there to be a moment. It was a series of moments yeah. over getting to know each other of just realizing how comfortable I felt, how safe I felt, how connected we were, and being able to visualize a future together and then having conversations about that shared future that aligned. Yeah. That's so funny because recently somebody asked me on like an ask me anything. They were like, how did you know or they asked how my husband knew that I was the one. Mm -hmm. And I asked him and he basically had the same answer. It was like a series of moments, like as we continued getting to know each other, as we took certain next steps, it was like next step. Oh, okay. Yes. We made it through that next step. Mm -hmm. Next step. Oh, we made it through that next step, like with flying colors and so on and so forth. So I feel like it's definitely not a moment as people say. Mm -hmm. And it's 
interesting also what those steps might be, mm. right? That it might not be something as prescribed as like, okay, like we moved in together. That's a check mark. But how did it go moving mm-hmm. in together? How did those first few months of living together feel? Right. What was it like to navigate those conflicts that arise? That's what we talk a lot about in the Before the Leap workshop is how to manage conflict in a way that brings you closer and kind of helps you grow stronger as a couple. Yeah. And I want to get into a lot of stuff around the Before the Leap workshop. Backing up a little bit, Mm -hmm. let's say you haven't talked about marriage yet. You're in a relationship. When should marriage be brought up? When should future conversations be had? And kind of when is it a red flag that they haven't been had yet? Mm. You know, shoulds are always tricky because I think it's so individual. I think if it's on your mind, bring it up. And the question I would have is what's making it hard to bring it up? If it's something that's important to you, if it's something you're wondering about, what's the concern? It doesn't have to be a serious sit down conversation, but something to play around with, float between each other. It can actually be a really fun, exciting conversation. And if it feels like it's going to be really heavy, what's that about? Is Mm -hmm. that your own anxieties around what it means to be the one to bring up marriage? Is it a wish that they might read your mind and bring it up first? I really caution people against relying on mind reading in their relationships and instead to feel comfortable or at least push themselves to be brave and talk about the things that make them nervous. Because Mm -hmm. if one of you is thinking about it, then it should be talked about. Yeah. What's the best way to bring it up in a not scary kind of ultimatum-y type of way? I think that humor has such a wonderful role in healthy relationships. And I think if you can bring it up in a jokey way, whatever that means for you two as a couple, maybe it's you see a movie and there's a wedding in it and you say like, what was it? Oh, like, what did you think of that wedding? Like, what? would you want your wedding to be like, oh, like, do you envision like something in particular that would make it perfect for you? I know a couple who went to a jewelry store that was like a really cheesy jewelry store, like not their style at all, and went and jokingly tried on rings. And it brought up the conversation in a less serious way of what kind of ring would you really want? And what actually are we thinking about this in real life, not just silly pretend life. Mm -hmm. And what would you say would be a red flag? Like, for example, let's say that I brought up something in a joking way Mm -hmm. or, you know, we were trying on rings in a joking way or we Mm -hmm. let's say uh, here's a random scenario that I just came up with. Let's say I go on vacation with my boyfriend and I'm like, let's tell them we're engaged so that we can like get, you know, a room upgrade or something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And let's say he has a weird reaction to that. And he's like, oh my God, like we can't say we're engaged. Like, you know, like, or Mm -hmm. even like won't even go there with joking. What's kind of a red flag to the other partner's reaction to those conversations? That is a great example because it's that shutdown and curiosity and humor that lets us know, okay, something's going on. My partner's activated. They're dysregulated. They seem uncomfortable. And so that moment, you can reflect on just what that was like. You seem really uncomfortable when I joked about us getting an upgrade. What was that about? Was there something about the idea of marriage or engagement that makes you uncomfortable? And just trying to be curious and be engaged in the conversation. Now, as the other partner, right, who made this joke and their partner shut it down and it feels like a red flag, 
they might have a hard time staying curious too because mm-hmm. they're holding all their own wants and needs of like, wait, I thought that we were on this path. What does this mean? Mm-hmm. And so one skill that I teach couples all the time and my individual patients too is emotion regulation. And so when we feel anxious, uncomfortable, unsafe, it can be really helpful to do some exercises to soothe ourselves, soothe our bodies so that we can get the part of our brain, our prefrontal cortex that is capable of curiosity and higher level thinking back online. So then we can tune into our partner and be like, what was that about? I'm curious. Not like I'm freaked out. Right. Not like I'm having, like I'm yelling and I'm screaming. What are some of those little exercises that we can do in that moment? I remember I do CBT therapy. No, sorry. DBT therapy. Wait, which is the one where you learn? I always mix them up. The one where you like learn skills and tools. DBT. Okay. So DBT therapy. And I remember when I first started doing it, I almost took it too literally. And I was like having a fight with a boyfriend at the time. Like this was years ago. And I walked away to like get myself back into like them. And I was like, this is too extra. This is too extra of me. What's a way that like you can do it without having to walk away, without having to be so obvious that you're regulating and trying to get out of your emotion mind? Mm-hmm. Emotion mind. Great DBT term right there. So first of all, I want to say that if you need to walk away and take some deep breaths during an argument, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't actually think that's necessarily too extra. So don't. Well, we were like at a bar. (laughs) (laughs) So I feel like that was a little weird. (laughs) Right. It could have been like, I have to go to the bathroom. Uh, Be right back. Right. But the stepping away, and you probably know this from DBT, and taking some deep breaths, maybe splashing some cold water on your face, saying things to yourself that are soothing, things like, we can get through this. I'm okay. This isn't as bad as I probably think it is. Right? Things that whatever the things are that you say to yourself that can help get you down from that place. Also, things that we do without even thinking about it are emotion regulation skills. Yeah. So scrolling on Instagram can help people get out of that dysregulated state. Watching your favorite Netflix show, listening to music, cooking a meal, so there are all these things that we actually do in our day-to-day life. One thing that I teach couples and individuals is deep breathing because we always have our breath with us. People don't always notice if we're doing deep breathing. And so if you can put your hand on your chest and on your stomach, take some deep breaths into your belly and do that for a minute to five minutes, it can really soothe your nervous system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love those tips. Our next podcast partner is redefining what sexual wellness and modern intimacy looks like by creating the chapter in the outdated sexual wellness industry. Maud makes modern body safe and high quality essentials for before, after and during sex. So they've got a whole variety of projects products and projects, I guess, like vibrators, lubricants, and massage candles. If you are getting in the mood, if you want to get in the mood, you should really be looking into mod. If sexual wellness had a name, it would definitely be mod. I'm a personal fan of their Vibe Vibrator, and their Shine Lubricant. I was talking before about masturbating and how important it is to get in touch with your body in order to be better at sex or 
better at enjoying sex for you because that's what it's all about, right? And I'm a huge, huge fan of Maud's vibrators, of their scents. They also have condoms, travel kits. So if you're going on a little trip with your significant other, spicing things up, you can bring Maud with you. It's really, really amazing. Dakota Johnson is their co-creative director. Hello. I bet she is having some good sex and you can too. As a partner of the podcast, you are getting a treat from Maud. Maud is going to give you 15% off your first order on all products with the code ACME. Just head over to getmod.com slash ACME. That's getmaude.com and use ACME to get 15% off of your first order. Trust me, you deserve a night in with Maud. My new obsession, guys, that I cannot stop wearing are my Rothy's. And I got two pairs of them for Steven and he has gotten so many compliments. It's amazing. I personally wear the point is what the name of the shoe is called. And Steven is a huge fan of the driving loafer. He has it in Falcon and Barley and black. And these shoes are just so comfortable so comfortable. Like I'm shocked. They have a wide variety of styles that are great for summer and fall. So you don't have to worry about getting brand new shoes each season. They've got tons of different colors, which is really amazing. So if you have a favorite shoe of theirs, you can get it in many, many colors. And I'm, I don't know what it is, but I'm telling you these shoes are heaven. Like you don't have to break them in. The first day I got my points, I wore them all over the city and I was totally fine. Plus you can wash them. Yeah. You can throw them into your washing machine and dry them and they won't change, which is really, really amazing. So step up your shoes and accessories this summer and fall and get ready to be asked, are those Rothy's? Plus get $20 off your first purchase at rothys.com slash Acme. That's rothys, R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash Acme. Check it out and you will get $20 off your first purchase. Check out the points, which are my favorites. The flats are also coming back this year and people are loving those like ballet slipper looks. So check them out. Go to rothys.com slash Acme now. Let's talk a little bit about before taking the leap Mm -hmm. like you in your workshop. So explain your workshop a little bit and then I'll Mm -hmm. ask some of the questions that people had submitted. Great. So the workshop's called Before the Leap. It's a six-week workshop that is fun and interactive and it teaches couples in a group. So it's two to five couples in person in New York City how to use these skills in their relationship to have the difficult conversations that all couples have to have for happy and lasting relationships. So the first half of the workshop is focused on skills, emotion regulation skills, communication skills, and conflict skills. Then the next three weeks are opportunities to practice those skills by talking about the hot topics that couples face. So things like me time versus us time, boundaries with family, finances, kids, religion, kind of a choose your own adventure opportunity. And then there's also a week specifically on sex and sexuality and how to make desire last a lifetime. Mm -hmm. 
So in, let's say, that second part where it's like, these are the scenarios, what decision do you make? Is that how you do it? You say like, okay, so what if your kid wants to go to Hebrew school? Like, where do you both stand on that type of thing? Or is it an open conversation like you're sitting in a circle kind of talking about it? So that part is not an open conversation sitting in a circle because this really is about the couple. It's not group therapy. And so the couples divide up into pairs at this point in the workshop and they're given prompts for how to have these conversations. They're really open-ended questions, so not as specific as, is your kid going to go to Hebrew school or not? Although a couple could very well get there from these questions. It's things like, what does money mean to you? How did your family manage finances growing up? Something like that. And the couple is having the conversation and then I'm moving between the couples, noticing any signs that maybe they need to be using a skill right now that they're not using Mm -hmm. and giving them a little support and encouragement and reminder to have those conversations in a new way Mm -hmm. as a way to not only have these important conversations with guidance around what they should be talking about, but also with guidance around how to talk about it. Right. And is there some sort of like just for couples who might be listening, being like, I don't want anyone to know I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. Is there some sort of thing they sign that they can't reveal, like the other couples they saw in there, that type of thing? Or is it kind mm-hmm. of just like a trusting thing? With groups, it has to be a trusting thing. It's different than individual therapy, but it is mutually beneficial that everyone be respectful and honor each other's privacy. Mm-hmm. I was talking to Annabelle before this when we were on the phone and I was like, what? I I didn't know how to envision the Before the Leap workshop. So I was like, is it like, I just imagined this like group therapy and I imagined like if one person was unhappy with their relationship and the answers that they were having were similar to another person who's in another couple, I'm like, maybe they would meet that way. But (laughs) hopefully that's not, that's not what's happening in these classes. Definitely not. These are couples that are very much in love and really excited about their future, Mm -hmm. which makes it really different from couples therapy. Mm -hmm. Couples who come to couples therapy come in distress. Studies show that the average couple who comes to couples therapy waits six years in distress before they end up in couples therapy. So those are people who are sometimes even grappling with, should we stay together? Right. These are couples who are excited about their future together and are looking to just build a solid foundation for their future. Mm-hmm. Not looking for new partners. Yeah. Yeah, definitely don't go there looking for new partners. Somebody asked how to handle different argument slash resolution styles. One is kind of the type of I'm done, let's move on. And the other person needs time to process. And I hear this a lot of people have this issue. Mm -hmm. Super common issue. So neuroscience has found that each of these people likely has a different emotion regulation style and they need different things and different amounts of time to get back to baseline and get back to feeling comfortable, safe, relaxed, at peace. And so this pair up is actually super common. And part of it is about finding a way for each partner to understand that their partner is just different in how they get back to that regulated place. Sometimes the partner who says, I'm over it, might be that that's part of their way actually of coping is they're like, I don't want to stir the pot. I don't want to risk damaging the relationship anymore. I want to kind of just avoid this hot 
but an issue to protect our relationship. Mm-hmm. And so seeing it as their effort to protect the relationship rather than a dismissal of your wants and needs can be a really helpful reframe yeah. for the other partner. Whereas the partner who wants to talk it out, that's their way of coping and feeling better and more connected and moving forward. And often those partners need help in understanding how to talk to their more over it partner in a way that they can hear and engage with them and give them what they need. Mm-hmm. I feel like there is, but t- jump in and tell me if I'm wrong, like as a professional, but for my husband and I, for example, he came into the relationship being not the person who needs time, but rather the person who would rather not talk about it, like mm-hmm. would rather just like, like move on, but without talking about it. Mm-hmm. And And maybe that's like how he was raised. Maybe that's how his family is like not necessarily passive aggressive, but more similar to that than Mm -hmm. aggressively, you know, hashing it out right away. Mm -hmm. And my family is very much the type to like, I have one like you looked at me the wrong way for three seconds. I'm going to tell you that you looked at me the wrong way. We're going to talk about why you might have looked at me the wrong way. We're going to bring it all to the surface and then we're going to immediately it be done and never talk about it again. Mm -hmm. And so when we started to have conflict in our relationship, not like actual conflict, but, you know, any sort of argument like that, I really wanted to do the way that I had learned, like immediately talk it out and move forward. And he now prefers to do that. Mm-hmm. And actually, like it it helps him so much and has now used those skills in like his business instead of, you wow. know, moving on. So I feel like there is a way if but I guess maybe this is only if like one style isn't necessarily working for that person or hasn't worked. Well, as you're describing that, first of all, that's wonderful, right? It shows the way that in healthy relationships, we mutually impact each other. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that there's also something about his style that's impacted you or or your delivery. Am I right? Definitely. On that? Yeah. Like I, I know about picking battles now a little bit because of that style of his. Mm hmm. Right. And so you've each given each other a really soothing and reparative experience. Like, oh, we can actually revisit the problem for, from Stephen's perspective. We can revisit the problem and it's not going to be another blow up. It actually is going to bring us closer. We're going to feel more connected. We might come with a resolution. Even if we don't come up with a resolution, I get it. And she gets where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And you also have learned that, oh, OK, he might step back, but it doesn't mean that this is totally dropped or he doesn't hear me. Right. Is that right? Yeah. No, definitely. 100%. Another question that came up, which is so important, and I'm curious what you think, how much fighting is healthy versus, sorry, is unhealthy versus ideal? Mm -hmm. So like no fighting sounds a little bit suspect, right? Mm -hmm. Fighting once a week sounds a little a little much, but what do you usually see when you're working with couples? Mm-hmm. Like the average. I don't, right, the average. I actually don't know what the average is, and I don't have in mind a certain number. I think it's because also each person's different in how much conflict they can tolerate. So there right. are couples who can tolerate a ton of conflict and some who really don't have any. I agree that no fighting at all raises a little bit of a question mark for me because I then assume someone is keeping to themselves some conflicts or some disagreements they have. For me, the 
defining line between healthy and unhealthy is how do you feel after? Mm. Do you feel heard? Do you feel understood? Do you feel connected again? Or is it tense? Is it that kind of like, let's just drop this because it's not going anywhere? The feeling that you're left with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. And what if you are left feeling so awful after Mm -hmm. fights? Mm -hmm. I would say that's something to talk about with your partner. Mm -hmm. And it's a time that maybe it would be helpful to get a therapist involved because Mm -hmm. having an outside person help you understand what's going on for the two of you emotionally underneath the content of the fight can be really helpful in stepping out of that cycle once you're in it. Yeah. So you might think we're always getting this fight about the dishes. Why does it feel so terrible? It would be really helpful to understand what that means for you. Right. It's not the dishes. Never the dishes. It's never (laughs) the dishes. Yeah. Someone, I forgot the story. I've told it on this podcast a few times, but someone told me a story once about this guy comes home from work and the woman in this scenario had just made lamb chops and he tastes one of the lamb chops and he throws it against the wall and he's like, it's overcooked. We're done. Mm-hmm. And obviously it's horrible, right? But it's like, it's not, it wasn't the lamb chops. Like it was never the lamb chops. It's mm-hmm. not about the lamb chops. It's always something a little bit deeper. And that's a big telltale between a healthy relationship and an unhealthy relationship in the past in relationships I've been in. And I'm curious if it's the same for you. After having fought, I felt horrible a lot of the time. And in my relationship now, after we, I don't even know if I can call it fight, but disagree, right, on something, have an argument and resolve, I feel amazing, like Mm -hmm. almost like rejuvenated. And I feel like that's a huge sign of an unhealthy fighting Mm -hmm. versus ideal, quote unquote, fighting. Definitely. That feeling that you're left with. And being able to speak to what it actually is about, right? Okay, it's not about the lamb chops. Do we know how to put into words what it really was about? Can we sit down together afterwards and say, look, I'm really sorry I threw the food you prepared against the wall. This is what's going on for me. When I saw that it was overcooked, this is how I felt, right? And that the other partner can say how it made them feel and where it landed for them. Mm -hmm. I am at my parents' house and I'm not going to lie to you, I am not cooking in a kitchen where I don't know what's what and I don't want to make a mess. It's nicer than my apartment and I just don't have the energy, but I do want to feel good about myself. So I've been ordering Sakara. If you haven't heard of Sakara, Sakara helps you live a healthy, balanced lifestyle and truly enjoy it with delicious, plant-rich, transformational nutrition that builds a foundation for living in your best body. Now it's a perfect time with the fall approaching to seek wellness, joy, and abundance in all areas of your life, starting with what you eat. With Saqqara, you get nutrient-dense meals, snacks, and supplements that nourish your body without ever sacrificing taste or quality. Saqqara is a wellness company anchored in food as medicine on a mission to nourish your body through the power of plants. They have chef-crafted breakfast, lunches, and dinners made with powerful plant-rich ingredients that help boost your energy, support 
support your digestion, curb your sugar cravings, and get your skin glowing. Plus, it's all delivered right to your door and ready to eat. And right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com slash Acme or enter code Acme at checkout. That's Sakara S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash Acme to get 20% off of your first order. That's sakara.com slash Acme. Is there ever a time, especially in your before the leap workshop, where you would say to a couple, listen, I actually don't think, or maybe just in couples therapy, I don't think that you guys should continue as a couple. I actually think you're better off not being together type of like you would be doomed if you continued. No, I don't see my role as a couples therapist as a judge Mm -hmm. of the health of the relationship. I see my job as more of a consultant or a choreographer giving feedback. I do say to couples, this is what I think in my professional opinion needs to change. And if I don't see them making the steps to work on those things or holding the mutual respect or admiration or love in some way for each other to make those changes, I'll reflect that. Mm -hmm. But I would never say to someone, you should just break up because Mm -hmm. I do see so much healing potential in couples therapy. Mm -hmm. Couples therapy can be profoundly transformative. And so if people will engage and really push themselves, I think that there's a lot of potential. Yeah. I had a friend who went to see a couples therapist with her partner and the partner is doesn't believe in monogamy and she very much does. And the therapist more or less said if like to the person who doesn't believe, if you can't get on board with monogamy, I don't see you guys being together. And I don't know if they said like it's time to break up, but they they basically insinuated that. And I think they were really hurt by that. But at the same time, Mm -hmm. I feel like that particular issue. I don't know. What would you say? I think there are certain issues that are so intractable. And if you're working with a couple or if you're a couple in couples therapy and neither person will compromise on those specific issues, which is a really fundamental one, right? It's a question about the structure of the relationship. Then you can come to a point that's uh, that is like that we got to get some movement here one way mm-hmm. or another. Mm-hmm. I would say that both either one person has to get on board with monogamy or the other person has to get on board with consensual non-monogamy. Right. But that would worry me because I would be like, oh, the person who wants monogamy is like changing what they want and getting hurt. But I, guess other both, but I guess both would be. So mm-hmm. that's a toughie. Yeah, it that's is. That's a toughie. What about everything's going well, right? Let's say I have this boyfriend. Everything's really good. We're not engaged yet. We're not married yet. And I would like to go to, to preventative couples therapy or just couples therapy to, you know, have that tool, right? Mm-hmm. But my boyfriend or maybe it's my fiance or maybe it's my husband doesn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Like everything is perfect. They, like, I don't want to say perfect. Everything is as close to wonderful and good as it could be. There are no otherwise red flags. But my partner does not want to go to couples therapy, mm-hmm. refuses. Mm-hmm. Then what? So I would want to understand the why for both of them. 
if everything is going so great, what does it would it mean to the partner who wants to go to therapy to go? Right. Part of the reason I created before the leap are for those couples who are in these really healthy, positive places and their partners don't want really want to go to couples therapy because it has this negative connotation. It means you're in distress. And so to have somewhere to go that's fun and positive and all about building on strengths rather than resolving conflicts and and disagreements. So understanding what is what's the worry, right? What what brings you here? Maybe that person has divorced parents. Mm-hmm. Maybe they've gone through really painful breakups. Maybe they are just proactive in all parts of their life and want and believe in health and mental health and want to invest in the relationship because they care so much for their partner. Maybe that would land in a different way with the partner who doesn't want to go, that this is because I love you so much and I'm so protective of our relationship that I want to invest in our future. And for the partner who is hesitant to be in therapy, understanding what it looks like when you're not in distress can be hard to imagine, right? You never really see people in movies or TV shows going to therapy for greater self-awareness when they're already in a positive place. Right. And so I would say that also having the two of them talk on the phone with a potential therapist and having the partner who's hesitant voice their concerns and see how the therapist responds could be really helpful in their gauging what it could be like and getting an opportunity to share what their concerns are. Like, well, mm-hmm. this, are they afraid it will open a can of worms? How can the therapist help them feel better about that? Mm-hmm. So let's say you're married pre-children. How in-depth should you get about parenting styles and how to raise kids if you don't really have the kids in front of you yet and don't know exactly how you would do things? I think there's so much to learn in talking about those things, even when they're not at all based in a present reality. Not because anyone actually will necessarily follow the parenting approach that they lay out five years before their children are born or whatever it may be, but because it says so much about what we value about our own childhoods, how we see ourselves as future parents. It can be really heartwarming to hear your partner talk about your future in that way and their vision for your shared children, if that's the tone of the conversation. So Mm -hmm. I don't think that there's anything wrong with it. I think that thinking about how you do it together is an important piece, though. It shouldn't be one person saying, this is how we're going to raise our kids. Mm -hmm. But each person bringing up, this is what I loved about my childhood. This is what I didn't like about how I was raised. How could we envision this together? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. If you're on the fence about going to therapy or not, when it comes to couples and that kind of thing, how do you know if you should go versus you shouldn't? Is it just the kind of thing where just because I'm thinking about it, it feels like I should? Mm. I think you should always feel comfortable having a consultation with a therapist. So you should be able to talk to a therapist before committing to any number of sessions to get a sense of what it feels like. Do It's kind of their job to tell you what they see therapy can do for you. You don't have to figure it all out on your own, right? Say, this is what's going on in my life. This is what I'm going through in my, let's say, relationship or at work. How do you see as a therapist working with someone like me mm-hmm. and hear what they have to say? Mm-hmm. 
Assuming that you have had clients who have an interfaith situation, which is really common, and Mm -hmm. I have tons of friends in interfaith marriages, but let's say that one, one of the partners like it causes an issue in their family to for them to be with somebody of a different religion. How would you advise? Mm-hmm. First, I'd want to know how much of this quote unquote issue is just the family or if it's a way that the other partner is finding of expressing their own concerns. Because those are two different paths. Right. Right. One is about direct communication of difficult, painful things. The other is about boundary setting with family. And so it sounds like this question is specifically about if it's just the family. And so I would say that setting boundaries with your family to protect what I call kind of the couple bubble is a really important part of a long lasting, happy relationship. And it can start pretty early in the relationship. And saying to your family, I hear your concern. This could mean a lot to to the family members, right? They might have based their family around this expectation of this religion being passed on or whatever the parents' emotional reaction is, is valid, but they don't need to be sharing it with you, the person in the relationship. And so setting some sort of boundary of, I love you, I understand where you're coming from, but I love this person as well. And so for the sake of my relationship with you as my family, I'd really prefer that you process this, express these feelings to someone else, whether mm-hmm. that's their, you know, your parents' siblings or talk about it amongst themselves or their own therapist, but that you can say, this is hard for me in our relationship and I love you enough that I want to protect our relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a tough one. Mm-hmm. What about finances in terms of one person makes a lot more than the other person. How would you suggest that they, you know, deal with that, navigate those conversations about one person, maybe let's say it's the person who makes more, wants to spend more, feels Mm -hmm. like they deserve to spend more because they work hard and they make more. Maybe they want a nicer place, but they want to split it halfway or, you know, these kinds of things. They want a different lifestyle or maybe the person who makes less wants to eventually give up their job. Maybe they don't want to give up their job, these conversations. Mm -hmm. So we talked a bit earlier about these financial values, Mm -hmm. right? Like what does money mean for you? This also gets into the nitty gritty of financial realities. What is your financial situation? And I do recommend for couples, especially couples moving in together, taking those next steps, whether getting engaged, having a child together, that they have really clear conversations about their financial situations. And so really laying it out like this is what I have in savings. This is the debt I have. This is my approach to spending and saving. This is my income. And given these realities, I get that you want to get this apartment. I'd love that apartment too, but this is where we're at. And so sitting down and having a conversation about compromise without it negating anyone's wish or anyone's value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember just in terms of financial red flags, and I feel like we should go down this this road a little if you Great. can contribute some as well. But I 
was in a relationship in the past where he wouldn't say how much he made. And I mm. found that to be so odd. Mm. And I felt like it was a reflection on how much he wanted to spend in our relationship. And if I knew possibly like how much he'd made, then he would feel like he had to spend more in the relationship or maybe less or whatever it was, you know? And I find that that's a very overlooked red flag when it comes to dating someone is not knowing their financial situation because the other person is withholding that information for one reason or another. Yes, I think that you're hitting on something so powerful, which is this difference between privacy and secrecy, mm-hmm. right? That there is a norm in our culture to not talk about money. And so people tend to be private about it. But when you are in a close relationship with someone where your finances start to impact each other and you start to ask really direct questions and they become secretive, Mm. that can be a real red flag. Huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are some other examples of financial like red flags? I think that this idea of secrecy can manifest on all different fronts. Mm -hmm. I also think that finances can be a way for some partners to exercise control in relationship. And so if there are comments being made around, well, I make this much, so I get more of a say in all of these aspects of our relationship, or that this idea that having more money or making more money gives you a bigger voice in the relationship, that's a big red flag to me. Mm-hmm. It means that something else is going on that needs to be explored because you are partners. Mm-hmm. No matter how much either of you make, no matter how much money either of you bring into the relationship, you are emotionally partners in this relationship and both people should be treated with dignity and respect. And what about those same kind of conversations, but when it comes to ambition? Like, let's say one partner wishes the other person, like one partner is complacent and their their partner wishes that they weren't, wishes that they had drive to make X, Y, and Z. Is that something that can work if one person is feeling this like resentment towards the other person's complacency? Complacency around specifically earning potential and career? Earning potential and career, yeah. That I would want to understand what does it mean for each of them, right? What, again, what's that emotional music underneath this conversation? What's the fear that their complacency will extend to other areas, that the complacent partner doesn't really understand the ambitious person's drive? This idea of striving and wanting versus being satisfied can be a point of contention in various domains. And so, Maybe it is just about finances, but I'd be curious also to hear those two people have a conversation about, look, when you didn't apply for that promotion, I felt really, let's say, anxious because I envisioned this life for us. And I feel like then I'm all on my own, let's say, Mm -hmm. just making this up. And then for the other partner to take that in of the meaning that it makes for the other person and to share what goes on for them emotionally when they see their partner striving and they hold themselves back. Yeah, I hear a lot of people I know or people who will write in for advice 
there's a discrepancy between one partner who wants to who's more of like a put themselves out there type of person who wants to like see the world who wants to travel who wants more for themselves and the other partner is more of like an I'm happy with a house in the suburbs like I don't need more than just like a nice decent house and kids who are happy and like saving the money versus the other person who wants to like spend while they're alive and you know those mm -hmm. kinds of conflicts I see often in relationships that actually don't come out until later until there actually is that opportunity to go out and travel to have you know more money as a couple mm -hmm. when there are these what seem like misalignments I often ask people how does this play out in other ways? Because often these things that frustrate us about our partners, they're the other side of a coin of something we really love about them, something that they bring us in the relationship mm. that makes us a well-balanced team. That's such a good call. Like they bring me stability, but that means they don't want to leave the house, you know? Right. If you were dating another or married to another striver, what would that be like? Right. Right. Would there be like a competitive edge? Would there be no one to kind of hold you down and ground you? And for the the person who's satisfied, maybe there's something in the striving and the ambition that they really appreciate. Like, oh, wow, this person is really putting themselves out there for us as a couple or I love to see them shine. And it makes me really attracted to them when I see them in that role. But oh, wait, they're like traveling all the time. And that's really frustrating to me, right? There's always a part of it that works otherwise mm -hmm. you wouldn't be in this partnership with them yeah. and so seeing what what does it bring because you can't erase one without erasing the other right that's such a such a great point somebody asked and i have my answer but i i would love to hear yours what to do if your partner says they aren't 100 percent sure about you but they want to be together hmm. yeah absolutely, <laughs> absolutely fucking not <laughs> say it again it like almost didn't even click for right. me what to do if your partner says they aren't 100 sure about you but they want to be together why what no. your partner should want to be with you 100 surely yes yeah they can have reservations they can have concerns about the relationship but that investment in you as a person and that admiration for you as a person that is like the bank that you draw on in tough times so mm -hmm. if you don't have appreciation and love and desire to be with your partner you're really not gonna get yeah through your the foundation doesn't exist yeah we've both been divorced before how do i pace the relationship with this new person now like they're concerned that being divorced will impact their pacing Maybe that both of them will rush into something and again be divorced. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's fear coming up, right? So this question of how can I get it right this time? Maybe if it's the right pace. I think that it's that gut feeling of do you feel centered in yourself? Do you feel relaxed? You can get married eight months after meeting or eight years after meeting. The pace is really just about what feels right to you in that moment, not from a head perspective, not from an intellectual perspective, but really grounded in that wise mind, that right. deeper self. Mm -hmm. Yeah, agreed. Okay, this comes up 
all the time. I feel very lucky uh, with this question because I have a lovely mother-in-law, but Mm. many people do not. Many people do not. My own mom really struggled with her mother-in-law. This person says, my mother-in-law is a raging bitch. She's literally evil. How do I let go of how triggering she is? So I have rule that I impart to couples, which is blood deals with blood when it comes to in-law boundaries. I love that. Blood deals with blood. Whoever wrote in, their partner should be running interference. And if they're not feeling like their partner sees the difficulty in the dynamic, the way that this is playing out, they should be having some really clear conversations maybe with a therapist present to help them recognize their partner's perspective so that they can run interference because otherwise it's just a recipe for kind of like you're this interloper in the family who's causing drama. Blood deals with blood. You can talk about it as a team, but your partner is an emissary to their own family. That is so amazing. And I can't wait to use that line when people are asking me this and quote you. What if this is the scenario, right? Let's say I have kids with my husband and my mother-in-law lives nearby and she comes over and she takes one of my kids, like not in like a a kidnapping (laughs) way, right? In like a she thinks that she's making my life easier because I'm working from home type of way. Like she grabs the kid, whatever. But my schedule is now thrown off because I had the kid, you know, supposed to nap at two and whatever. My husband is at the office and he can't pick up my calls until later. But now I have to have a conversation with my mother-in-law about how this isn't okay in this moment. What then? Should he step away from what he's doing and have that conversation instead of me having to have it? I think that in that moment, Right. The circumstances dictate that you as the parent set the boundary unless she's already taken them, in which case he can deal with it later. But mm-hmm. let's say you have to step in and say they can't come with you right now. It's it's nap time. Mm-hmm. You are allowed to set that boundary and then a larger conversation about. You know, mom, you need to check in with Lindsay before you pop by. That's not how we run our household or we have a, a tight schedule. Right. And I understand that you parented us differently, but this is the way that we're doing it. Mm-hmm. I have found that often couples who don't have kids yet are more anxious about this dynamic, that the intrusive in-law is going to come in and it's going to be a real battle. But what I hear from couples who have children is that once you're the parent and you control access to the grandkids, you have a lot of power in the right. dynamic. Yeah, yeah, Not yeah. power that should be abused, <laughs> yeah. but that your mom, <laughs> that your mom and you get to set the rules mm-hmm. and that it can shift the power dynamic in a way that is actually really satisfying for people who have felt a bit out of control yeah. with their in-laws. Yeah, that's really interesting. And that, would you say that blood deals with blood also applies to sibling in-laws and those kinds of things. Like, for example, let's say like my sister and my brother-in-law on like my own blood sister and her husband are pissing me off and I want my husband to back me up in something. And he's like, nope, I'm not going to ever go there. That's your, you know, thing. Mm-hmm. Would you say that he's right in that instance or he should be backing me up, let's say, in that instance? When you envision being backed up, what are you picturing? I guess him being like, 
no, Lindsay's right. You guys are being ridiculous, like, or something. Mm. I don't know if that applies necessarily in the same way, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's kind of just being your echo for something that you're already taking charge on about your dynamic with them. When in reality, they know that he backs me because he's my husband. Right. And I don't think our partner should ever undermine us Mm -hmm. in front of our family, in front of our friends. Even if you disagree, you don't always, you're never going to always disagree with or always agree with your partner. But do it privately. Yeah, that's so interesting because we were at our friend's wedding uh, a few months back and in their vows, she said something like, I vow to never disagree with you in public. And I thought that that was a little much, to be Mm -hmm. honest. Like I was like, I will definitely disagree with my partner in public at some at some point, you know, not in like a like a dramatic way. But I think like I not like like I just I won't be like silenced to not speak my mind if like we're on, let's say, a double date. And he says, like, you know, women should be topless at all times. And I'm not going to be like, yeah, I agree. And we'll talk about it later. You know, like, Mm -hmm. I'll be like, no, they fucking shouldn't. And that's disgusting, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, first of all, hopefully you and your partner don't (laughs) disagree on such fundamental things (laughs) as him wanting you to be topless all the time. So that's one. Um, And always is a strong, right? She said she'll or never disagree with you in public. Yeah, she said never. Yeah, always and never never is strong, Mm -hmm. right? I would definitely disagree with my husband about like certain music tastes or if we're out with friends about what, like how we think about a certain TV show. But if it's more about a criticism or a complaint about how they acted, I would wait until it's private because I agree with. I think that embarrassing or shaming your partner in front of other people is, doesn't speak to the respect in the relationship. I agree with you for sure. Okay, we only have time for like two more questions. So I'll try to choose the ones that apply to the most people. This one is when to know if you're ready to live with your significant other. When you are spending a lot of time together and you want to continue spending the time together and also when you're thinking about the future. Mm -hmm. Moving in together can be a wonderful test run for long-term commitment. Mm-hmm. Right. You're at least committing for the lease. Right. So it's a way to practice living together, working together as a team. It's your first kind of shared project for most people. And so when you're feeling really excited about that next step. Mm-hmm. And how do you bring that up without being like ultimatum again? Yeah, I'd say that one thing I'd encourage couples not to do is not to use their living situations or leases as excuses. So it can feel easier for some couples to say, you know, my lease is ending or my rent's going up and I'd love to split the rent, right? It can be a kind of a way to talk about it without owning our desire. Mm -hmm. And I think saying something to the effect of, what do you think about us moving in together? Is that something that you ever picture? What would that look like for you? And what timing do you think would work best for us? Mm-hmm. Can we find a middle ground there? Because that to me seems, seems really scary. So what I what I did was I kind of pulled like a reverse psychology, even though my husband now admits that it was he, something he was thinking about for months. Mm-hmm. I was kind of like, so my lease is coming up. I'm going, I'm planning to resign. I, I'm like, I think I'm going to sign for another year, hoping that he would be like, wait, don't, you know? <laughs> so I feel like obviously that's not 
ideal and what you said to me feels too vulnerable like to have like an us conversation Mm -hmm. so let's meet in the middle there maybe it's something like and and like i want your seal seal of approval here maybe it's something like me saying to my partner what did you like have you ever lived with a partner before when do you see yourself living with a partner do you think that it's important to live with a partner before you like making it about them not us yes i think that's a great way to open up the conversation and you're right right i'm a therapist so i definitely go for the like direct (laughs) maybe more vulnerable communication and i don't think that your strategy was in any way wrong Mm -hmm. it worked out Mm -hmm. right but i think that there's also a lot to be said for holding in mind our own wishes and putting them into language especially if they got to the point where he was like oh yeah i don't know resign your lease and then the opportunity got missed right Right. oh i would have been like "Mm." right right and then you'd maybe have to be a little (laughs) more overt right that's like the baby steps and i think that that idea of saying like what's your experience been like living with people is a wonderful opener Mm -hmm. mm-hmm mm-hmm We'll end on this one because it is just the question of the century. And I know what you're going to say. I could, I bet now having heard your answers to things, I could answer it for you. Oh, I'd but love to hear. how often should you be having sex? Can I, can I guess what you're going to say? You can guess, yes. As often as makes you, f- like if you feel good about how much it's happening, then that's how much you should be doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And if there's discrepant desire in the couple, which is really common where one person wants it more frequently than the other, then having conversations around what the person who maybe has a wish for more sex to include their partner in ways that are arousing to them. Mm -hmm. So maybe this partner is open to the idea of having more sex but just when it comes down to the facts of day-to-day life they're just not in the mood Mm -hmm. as much and so having a conversation around like well what does get you in the mood Mm -hmm. and taking more responsibility as the partner who wants it more to initiate in the ways that work for their partner Mm -hmm. yeah it's hard not to like future trip when you are with so like for example a person that i've dated in the past i my sex drive was just much higher and I would get in my head if I was like, if I had a future with this person, if it were t- if it were go time, if we were, you know, trying to have a baby, I couldn't even try with this person because we have mm-hmm. sex once a week. You know, mm-hmm. like that's the kind of thing that would freak me out in the past about not being on the same page sexually with somebody. Right. This idea of is it going to be this way forever? Mm-hmm. Which like is- if it's this way now and we're not even married. Mm-hmm. Right. And that also off in the beginning of a relationship, there's so much more sex than right. later parts of the relationship. Totally. It's again, that kind of like goodwill that you bank for the future, mm-hmm. right? Like this like sexual desire that you bank early on so that when you're living together for 10 years and you've seen each other in sweatpants watching Netflix to be like, oh, right, we had this time right. when we did that crazy thing or we were so experimental, we can get back to that. Totally. Yeah, that's so true. This has been so much fun. I feel like there's so much I took from what you said. I love that. By the way, I forgot to tell you guys that Annabelle's an Aries and I'm a Libra. So we have that opposite sign energy, which I love. Can you leave us with a quote or piece of advice that has helped you throughout the years? 
one quote that I love that I think speaks to everything we've been talking about today is it's Eric Fromm. He's a psychologist. And he said, love is not a feeling. It's a practice. Mm. And that this is not his exact quote anymore, but that we often focus so much on finding the person that we love that we don't think as much about how we can be loving Mm. and that we can bring love into our life by being loving and that that's what sustains a relationship. I love that so much. I say like for first date advice, which is kind of similar, but that one's obviously much deeper. I say be interested, not interesting. Yes, love that. So that's awesome. This is so much fun. Where can everybody find you, follow you and sign up for Before the Leap? So if you are interested in learning more about the workshop and signing up, Go to beforetheleap.com. You'll learn more about happy lasting relationships, tips and skills. Our Instagram is at before the leap. So letter B, number four, the leap. Uh, and I'm also on Instagram at Dr. Annabelle Seif. Awesome. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.